Hello, and welcome to episode 28 of the Medical Device Success podcast and videocast. I am Ted Newell, your host. I'm also the host of the MedTech Leaders Community. More about that in a minute. The title of today's episode is A CEO Leads His MedTech Company Through COVID. To take this journey, we talk to Dominic Beck, Managing Director and CEO of Rudolf Riester in Germany. It is a story of opportunity and agility as this small to medium-sized medtech company grows despite its larger rivals. Now let me tell you a little about the medtech leaders community. Its purpose is to bring together medtech leaders and those aspiring to be leaders to help each other by sharing problems, solutions, ideas, and successes in a robust environment. This is supported with live events with subject matter experts and small focused groups. For example, we have over seven hours of video cast content in the community on the subject of going virtual both in sales and marketing in this COVID world. Some people say it's like a master class. To learn more about the MedTech Leaders community, go to medtechleaders.mn.co and learn about the free trial. Now let's talk to Dominic Beck about his team's journey through COVID. Dominic, thank you very much for being with us today. I'm really looking forward to learning about how your organization, Rudolf Riester, has been able to thrive in this COVID environment. Well, Ted, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. You know, when we were uh, preparing for this, and I was I was thinking about the challenges a company has to face, and I was thinking that you would have a different set of challenges, but still you do have some things like COVID's come, it's, it affected Germany, which is where you, most of your workers are employed and, and working. You've got to keep track of projects um, with some people working from home, some people coming into the office. Got to maintain morale, although that doesn't sound like it was a big issue because the company has done reasonably well, which we'll get into in a minute. You know, but you did have to change some strategies and tactics. You know, some traditional methods of communicating and uh, following up on leads or whatever, getting actionable leads have changed. Although we talked about how much of your business is um, uh, bid-based. And then finally, you know, in the United States, we do have these, maybe in other countries, you've got these restrictions for people being able to call on professionals. Not sure if that affected you very much. We did talk about supply chain interference, which was very interesting. So we'll get into that. But one thing I'd like to do is if you could just tell us a little bit about Reister, your role at Reister. And I don't know if you have a slide you can share that just gives people an idea as to what the product profile is for the company. I do. Let me share my, um, my presentation briefly. So I'm sharing my screen now. Yes, got it. <clears throat> so Reister is a mid-size 
you know, German company about 70 years old has been in this uh, medical valley, as we call it in Germany, in southern part of Germany, mostly manufacturing and developing handheld devices, classic, and I move my mouse a little bit, classic devices for um, the general practitioner. Primary care, is it stethoscopes, is it diagnostic tools, is it blood pressure measurement? Focusing on vital sign assessment, diagnosis, monitoring. This slide here shows a small extract of our about 2200 SKU product portfolio, um, but defines the, the, the categories of our products, which I call core. Core because they're mostly mechanical, some are mechano-optical, um, very manual. And then at the bottom of the slide, we see the first extension towards um, digital data and you know, collection sensors that provide those. So that's the core portfolio right now. And as you can imagine, you know, coming back to, to the question you had regarding COVID, um, or we can come into that a little bit later, but this product portfolio was actually quite appealing for many healthcare systems around the world. So we saw a nice spike in the beginning of the year for more demand in that core portfolio. We are set up, and I can show you the slide here. This one here, I think. This is our footprint, uh, worldwide footprint of where we're doing our business. Um, so, you know, Europe, where we're based, about 29, 30% come out of Europe. Only about 7% of our revenue comes out of Germany. So there is, there is quite a bit of diversity in the European community. Um, a large part for us is Middle East and Africa as well. Africa, more the emerging markets um, where we see, as you said, a lot of our tender business coming from, large tenders coming from all through obviously government tenders, not so much uh, private hospital or, or private, private tenders. Then we do have a relatively strong footprint in the Asia-Pac um, environment, countries like Indonesia, Philippines, Thailand, we're strong. We do have a small sales team in China, but unfortunately we're not as established in China as I'd like to be. We're working on that, or more that are part of it. Uh, we're only about strong in six or seven. And then we have around 10% of our, of our revenues through a sales organization uh, from the East Coast in the US as well. We do have a small footprint in Brazil um, with one or two sales individuals there with a hub by um, a hub that actually is, is provided by our owner, which is the Halma Group. So we're part of the group uh, since 2008. Okay. And all those products are sold through. Oh, sorry. No, that's okay. That's okay. Keep going. Yeah, all our products are sold through distribution partners. Um, we have no direct sales force. We do operate about 45 individuals and in commercial team within that, within that geographic reach. They're off about half of it is on our payroll and uh, about 15 or 16 are regional sales managers managing those distribution channels for us. Okay, but you took over the business in January of 2018. Uh, that's when you took the role of CEO of Reister. What did you see as the big opportunities at that time? 
for change and for progress in the company when you join the company? So as I said, portfolio, mostly technology is, is assessment of vital sign parameters. I saw a big opportunity to get more connectivity into primary care, into the GP practice. Um, so as a start of a digital transformation for our company, moving more towards um, remote monitoring, for example, or, or chronic care patient monitoring in, in environments where Easter has predominantly uh, maybe sold products, but not had contacts into. So for us, it was actually that strategy of getting closer to the use cases, closer to the end users in terms of, in terms of, for example, physician groups or or elderly care facility providers. And in mind always that how can we provide more quality through better better assessments to our data. So provide that digital insight through our products. I think that was, that was mainly what I had in mind. Um, telemedicine, you know, although a very, a very um, uh, important topic nowadays was already on my mind at that time and, and has been on my mind for quite some time during the 90s and 2000s as well. But we did not see ourselves as more uh, um, more than meant than being a supplier, we were a supplier for products for for vital sign monitors for cameras. But more recently, and I think the the idea started back in eighteen when I when I started here to say, look, we'd like to move and become a player, direct player in the telemedicine market ourselves, not just be a supplier to other telemedicine companies. And when you joined and you, were, and you saw this opportunity to uh, move more uh, to more digital components of the technology, did you feel at that time that you were behind some of the other uh, competitors or were they also in the same place? Competitors to our core, I don't think we were necessarily behind in terms of telemedicine. In terms of integration into EHR and EMR system, um, connectivity within their portfolio, I think we were trailing, yes. Okay. Uh, We had to pick up. We did have some, even at the time already, some integrations into EMR systems with our our vital sign, multi-parameter vital sign monitors, but in general, we were certainly a few steps behind our competitors at this point. And then we still are, right? We are still running behind that development curve, so to speak, but we've accelerated it quite a bit in the past two years. And specifically also this year, in terms of understanding the business models, the reimbursement systems that are behind it, getting closer to some of the to some of the sources that we see as our future revenue growth sources. So do you feel positive about the goals you've achieved between taking the company's helm and then up to COVID? Not necessarily, because I had to work more on my structure uh, than I was was actually prepared to do coming in. I, I remodeled quite a bit of my management. We lifted mid-management up to become more independent as well. And, and so from a target, I needed to look at organizational design first, started at that time, bring in more capacity and capability in R&D, for example, 
than I was intending initially. Reason for that is that I did move my strategy towards more and better control of our more complex technologies that are driven by software that we felt, look, we need to get behind the hood. We cannot just partner up. We need to see and understand closer to the market what the requirements and the demands are, and then also bring and strengthen our, our, our force towards developing those technologies faster than with partnerships alone. So you needed some new team members with new skill sets and capabilities. Right. And that continued into this period. And we will talk a little bit about that, I think, going down a little bit later. But yes, I, I did actually bring in um, new regulatory, new R&D, new commercial, new IT, new software. So pretty much all the aspects that we had outsourced or just were operating lightly before I strengthened those to build a strong foundation, so to speak, for our growth that is now coming. Okay. And, um, you know, it's now early 2020. Let's just go back to, I guess, the January, February, March timeframe. COVID's here. What were the first things that you did in the company as you saw COVID becoming a real issue for the world? Immediately we instilled and installed that, that, let's say, sensitivity towards how we can make sure we have continuity. We wanted and we were very, very dedicated to not lock down but stay in operation. We knew we had um, you know, critical, critical devices to deliver to the industry, to the healthcare systems around the world. And so instead of trying to look at short-term work, for example, and how we could protect our, our, our social side, we went in and said, let's, let's implement safety measures that will make sure that our, mostly our assembly lines, they are small, compact cells, very lean cells that work in, in short range, need to exchange tools, do have grab parts in the same environment. We needed to look at that very carefully, how, could, how we make sure that, that um, we can build up those restrictions that, you know, should anything happen, we would be fast in responding to a, to a critical situation. Obviously, we learned that home office works quite well. We send half of our staff in the back office home on a, on a, on a cycle, so 50% stays home for a week, then the other, the other 50% come in for a week. Um, so we did that. This did put quite a bit of challenges to our IT. I mean, we were not prepared with you know, everybody having a computer at home and, 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 and safe and, and firewalled and be ready to share our ERP system into the to living rooms of, of our employees. So we needed to set that up. 
Um, there were a number of challenges in regards of individuals not not being ready, you know, taking care of their children at the same time, working, both parents working. So there were those restrictions we had. Let's say the first two, three weeks, it was, it was a, a, um, a process to get used to for everybody. Since then, I have to say, it works actually very nicely, very well. People have get, gotten used to it. We have uh, set up a new operating rhythm or, or, or meeting rhythm as well. So we, we have built structures in place that make sure uh, people still have that exchange and are not isolated. And then since then, we've actually been, you know, we didn't, we didn't shut down a single day or a single hour. We are ramping up our capacity to fulfill the demand. So... As I mentioned to you before, we had you know a spike in demand that that was substantial for us, and um, responding to that wasn't easy either. We we were hiring whilst other people were letting people go or put them on furlough. When we were talking yesterday about this, and because it obviously became clear that this was an became an opportunity for Reister. The, the product mix changed a little bit. And how were you able to respond to this product mix change as, and well, this first, before we talk about product mix, just because you can lead into that, talk about what this opportunity was, what created this additional demand? So our portfolio is a portfolio that assesses the basic vital signs, heart rate, temperature, blood pressure, um, oxygenation of blood, all of those parameters are used in any COVID assessment when you walk into a hospital or go to your GP. And it seemed to us as if quite a few healthcare systems were obviously not prepared to handle the amount of individuals that they had to see in that short period of time, beginning of the COVID uh, pandemic. And so we saw a huge spike in very basic blood pressure measurement devices, our stethoscopes, our thermometers, um, even in multi-parameter vital sign monitors. And we were not we're not delivering our products to intensive care units. We're delivering our products to the patient assessment before they would actually be. So in the, in the GP wards before they would actually be delivered into intensive care. Um, And so even in those triaging environments, they must have had some demand in addition created by COVID either by deciding that they would dispose of even reusable products because of the situation or because they had additional staff to to set or additional staff to to equip as well with our product and we saw quite interestingly how it moved through geographies so we had very strong demand initially in march and april in europe multiple countries in Europe, specifically Spain, Italy, France. So we could follow where COVID was was developing. By May, we very strong demand in the US as well, nothing in March. So you see the response time there as well. That was that was interesting for us. I have to say obviously 
we we are not a proxy for where it where it was developing. It was more a proxy also of where our distribution channels would respond to demand that they got from healthcare providers, either hospital systems or or even or even independent physicians. So this is a response of our distribution and not necessarily the need curve. So there is a lag, but it, it showed quite nicely. Then, then it, it moved towards uh, Southeast Asia. We had quite a bit of a demand there, but then it locked down and all of a sudden we didn't hear anything anymore because as you mentioned before, our, our sales reps in the field could not go and visit hospitals. They were locked out. So there was no more communication there. We saw it move towards Latin America, where it still is is strong at this still respectable level. And then also by end of summer, let's say midsummer, July, August, it moved towards the Middle East. This has probably more to do with with Ramadan and 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 some other decisions that were made in some of the large countries that we're that we're represented in. The largest is for us is Saudi Arabia. And there the decisions were actually delayed. So we saw very well how the Ministry of Health delayed some decisions in terms of letting equipment into the country to replenish or to actually equip new staff there as well in response of the pandemic. You even Um, indicated that um, in the conversation that you said that there were one or two countries that didn't even have some of these sophisticated uh, vital sign monitoring systems. We saw that mostly in, in one or two African countries, correct? Yeah. Um, Africa, you know, we, when, we, when we saw what happened in Europe, we actually contacted our distributors in Africa and some of the uh, Ministry of Health where we had tenders ongoing. So one was in Ethiopia and said, look, now would be the time because we will get crunched. And if you want product now, now would be the time to accelerate and bring in that, that purchase order for that equipment that you had in mind of getting for quite some time already. But at the time, they did not know how to respond. Ethiopia very specifically had Two epidemics of locusts in the, in the meantime as well had a drought to fight with. So they were hit with multiple difficult situations at the time. And I don't think that the healthcare system responsible for the healthcare systems were necessarily ready to rapidly accelerate it. They were just following their, their usual, it seemed, their usual decision pass. Some responded faster. So Ivory Coast was one that responded very quickly and we delivered some devices there that they've never seen before, never had access to before, like multi-parameter vital sign monitors. Um, and we do see that now, there is different standard of cares, obviously, throughout those regions. And even in Africa, some countries are very, very evolved. In some countries, we see still primary care only building up. A lot has been done in community care. A lot has been done by um, professional healthcare providers, but not necessarily trained medical staff. And therefore, there is, there is, at the same time, COVID just rolled in while they were looking at building up their primary care systems. 
And some used it as an opportunity to accelerate and some were hit such that we think or we believe or the numbers, the numbers might show that they were delaying it till you know, the pandemic would ease or, or till the situation would actually, would actually change. So now that. you're responding to this demand that's been shifting, but it also created a change in the product mix, at least for a while. How, did, how, were, how were you able to keep up with that uh, uh, extra demand on this particular part of the product mix of yours? So have we not had a very, very um, well-connected network of suppliers in, in quite a few parts of the world, but mostly in Asia, that, that did all they could, everything they could to deliver product still on time while some were on lockdown, even with their reduced staff and some had reduced staff in place, they were trying to fulfill our purchase orders that we put out. Um, I think it's just a, 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 an effort of multiple players within that vertical that helped us to really fulfill and some with delay and, and some with extra costs. And we talked about the logistics cost of getting the goods to us rose by a factor of three just because of, of air freighting versus sea freight shipments that we needed to have to get it in time. Some were call-offs that we did not plan for that time, that we were lucky we had a little bit of stock left at our suppliers that we were able to call off. But there were also products that we could not get and, and, and eventually not ship. The shift in the product mix was actually away from diagnostic, handheld diagnostic equipments that we would usually have for an ENT workup uh, towards more the really the, the, the basic vital sign monitor, single parameter or, or multi-parameter monitors, and no demand for connectivity. They didn't, they didn't need connectivity. So that was not, let's nicely set that up and every patient will be worked into their EHR, EMR. They did not have that time to do that. So they were just looking at how can I get a patient quickly to a monitor and make sure I can assess the vitals ASAP. And what do you foresee going forward now? You know, we, you, you had this opportunity, you had a bit of change here. We're talking about the possibility of a, a second wave of COVID, um, you know, coming, you know, through Europe, also in the United States, and possibly in the United States. We're not even finished with our first wave. We just keep extending it right. due to our um, politics and leadership and so on. But what do you see as the future for for the company now, as you go into the end of 2020 um, and on into 2021? So one additional trend that we obviously all observed and hear a lot about is, is the move towards telemedicine, specifically in the developed markets uh, throughout Europe as well as, as, well as the U.S. With, with very strong either new or extended or, or strengthened reimbursement supporting that, that remote care, remote assessment quite a bit. So... You know, it's forecasted to grow at high, at yeah, close to 20% year over year in the next five years. 
We see ourselves obviously as being able to participate in that growth by one being a supplier for equipment like vital sign monitors or cameras that are used in any basic assessment, telemedicine assessment by a GP. So you usually have the vitals, you have a digital stethoscope, you have a digital camera, and sometimes an ultrasound probe, sometimes an ECG. Um, and so then that could be in a portable or in a stationary environment. And we're in the month coming, but also in the month leading up to now, we've actually strengthened our portfolio. I'm in the midst of a process of acquiring a digital stethoscope technology to actually build more of that core device environment. And we are going to become, you know, and pair that up with a software for telemedicine, pair that up with a card, pair that up with a backpack to make portable units out of it. So we will become a telemedicine provider in the next few months. We're building it as we speak. Maybe by April, May next year, we should be ready to, to hit the markets um, and offer, uh, offer those solutions ourselves. So I see this as a strong trend. With that, we're building more data. With that, we're also building the opportunity to bring analytics into our, into our hands. Analytics that is um, based on data that eventually will use algorithmics, uh, either machine learning or AI even, to, to help and, and do faster and better assessment of some of those vital data, vital, vital uh, assigned datas. And we're working on, in, in parallel approaches, on building with that digital stethoscope some nice AI package on top of that that we see actually be able to provide also to the home, also to remote areas. And in parallel, we're building that telemedicine platform. So for us, this, this digital transformation that I foresaw taking a number of years has been accelerated, so to speak, by, by the COVID opportunities, not only because of COVID, but also certainly also because the economics around telemedicine just indicate that it's now ripe to be harvested. Um, I mean, I don't know if you followed the past few months, some of the mergers that have happened between large telemedicine companies and, and some home monitoring providers that, you know, we see a, a strong drive where we can participate as a device supplier in such a vertical. We will not operate our own physician networks as they do. We will partner with local physician networks to do that or with brick and mortar hospitals that then want to run their own telemedicine services with their patients at home or even with GP groups that we see would um, like to maintain more remote relationships with their patients. Again, chronic care, diabetes, Meters patients is 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 a is a, a keyword or or even if we look at at cancer treatment patients that stay at home and don't don't can come in at that frequency as they came in in the past would benefit from such technologies and Reister wants to participate in that. So it's sort of interesting as a foundation, 
you already had an interest in telemedicine moving toward artificial intelligence and digital capabilities for the product line. You already had that pre-COVID. You were starting to look into it, investigate it, apply it. Then COVID hits, which takes you back to some of the block and tackle type of products that people needed around the world just so they could manage their patients. So it's sort of that mix shifts you away. But at the same time, telemedicine now sort of explodes in some areas and people are now realizing, why didn't we take telemedicine more seriously in the past? It has a lot of value. And now you can shift your uh, company toward that telemedicine, which is where you already had a foundation and you're sort of prepared for that next step of the future. I think we are challenged by the speed of acceleration Mm -hmm. ourselves because some of the business models are just not transparent to us how they will truly work um, on a, and our strength is a, a, a global reach. If I just look insular certain countries, I can sink through some of those models quite well. But if I, you know, if I look at, at, I don't know, and Azerbaijan, as an example, I don't know why this comes to mind, but it's been in the news lately. <laughs> well, they're fighting uh, with each other there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they're in That's the news. Of, but, you know, just for that, I, I say um, they're coming as well. Georgia, not the state of Georgia, but the country of Georgia has come and said, look, we need to reach our remote areas that we have not been able to provide care to. And... Some of the programs are funded by sources that we would not have imagined two years ago would actually fund projects like that. And we need to not only be there to look at the opportunities, can we provide technology to, you know, to, to capitalize on the, on the opportunity or monetize on the opportunity, but also to understand what risk levels are we actually putting ourselves into in doing business recurring revenue business, for example, with a, with a local provider in, in, those, in those countries. Um, these, these are challenging, challenging new ways for us to do business. It's not just a tender and then we have a letter of credit and then, you know, it's the exchange. There is much more depth to it, much more risk there as well. And so we not only had to quickly think about, you know, what technology we could provide, bring it together as a solution, but also what appetite do we need to bring to that, to that deal in terms of risk-taking? And, and that has been quite a transition by itself within the existing organization with some of those new players that I've mentioned uh, before. And going forward, we do challenge ourselves thinking, well, are we set up correctly in our, in our structure with our distributors, right? You said it correctly. These were you know, distributors that, that sold stethoscopes. And now the move towards a digital stethoscope for us somewhere is logic. But for them and the, and the recurring model attached to that for them is, is, is disrupting. Yeah. They don't see that necessarily as their natural extension. And so this is, this is the challenge going forward to adjust all the other structures to actually support those opportunities because they're there. And um, we know that we can get access to them, but I'm not sure I have the decision criteria set correctly yet 
in all those instances where I can say, yes, this is actually, this is manageable risk and the opportunity is there, or this is risk that we would rather step away from. And mitigating those is difficult for a small companies like Reister by themselves. We need our partners. We need our distributors to actually help us mitigate some of those risk elements. And so at the same time, we're, we're also challenging our partners in the channels to think differently, right? Not only in terms of how they sell, but also how they support a longer-term relationship with the customer and maybe even bring the customer a little bit closer to us in that process. So we have these two challenges. One is a distribution network that was primarily, uh, maybe, I don't know if I want to use the word content with, but they were used to and sort of culturally aligned with a different kind of technology. And then also we have COVID, which interferes with some of the sales processes. So it's a little, perhaps a little more difficult to travel into those areas to support a distributor. Um, it, and then you have to communicate with them differently with some tools. Do you think, does your team need some different skills or different kind of people to sort of, to sort of execute some of these strategies so that you can move into the digital world, the AI world, and the telemedicine world? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. These, um, these new requirements demand new skill sets as well. I don't think I've fully identified yet how those skill sets need to be looking like and what exactly they need to bring for us to be more successful. You know, we think about some of our silverbacks, as we call them as well, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, they're, they're used to be in, in, in a not derogative way, but they used to be more order takers. And, and, right. and, and it's a different proactivity now to not only identify the opportunities, but really also to support the customer on that journey as well. And it's much more customer interaction than just navigating with our distribution partners to the customers from time to time, have those interactions where you be with the purchasing agents of the hospital groups and then, and then get out again. Here we need to bring multiple sets of skills to make sure that Reister is actually recognized as that partner going forward for that customer as well. Digital thinking in terms of models and you know, not, not just uh, I can give you 5% discount, Thinking, right. but, but how do we structure our deals differently as well? Individuals that were, you know, maybe dealing with, with IOLs, just, you know, we were both from the ophthalmic background as well. Right. They knew a little bit more of how to, you know, if you have a femtosecond laser and you put the IOLs in, in respect, how to, to build volume deals around that. In, in my world right now, we have not been exposed to those different uh, models. And so this is where I also see um, internal sales and, and on the financing side, different skill sets to support our, our field work. And so that will change, I think, also from a, from a um, customer support perspective. We will have to be much more alert and probably extend our supporting supporting services and hours. We have to be 
um, better in, in providing training to some of, the, of those more complex systems as well, which, you know, you don't need much training for, for a blood pressure monitor. You don't. I mean, if it's digital, you learn, you learn how to save, you know, some files and, 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 and maybe you, you know how to respond to alerts that are coming up. But as soon as you're then also looking at, at uh, remote integration into EMR, uh, legacy health IT environment systems that are there already, you, you're, you're becoming, a, you, you're becoming a, a expert in cybersecurity and network security. You have to provide that as a manufacturer, either by partnership or by your own talents. And people need to become aware, salespeople specifically need to become aware that um, they need to surround themselves with all those experts to actually make a, a sell at the end happen. Right. And the customer, and the customer solution you know, uh, that works and is supported. And they have to understand how to almost lead this team where it used to just might have been themselves now they might need a team of two or three or four people to help them affect a sale or train a distributor or whatever it might be. And they have to have the skill to organize that session, bring people together, make sure whether it's the distributor or the end user understands these things with these, the help of these experts. Yeah, that is, that's an, a, a, an additional skill for sure. Now that's that project management skill that you would see somewhere else. Right. Uh, where you bring the right moment, you bring the right, you know, the right individual in to actually help you advance to the next step. I don't think that, that currently any of my of reasters, sales managers, but also sales managers within our distributor network, and there is multiple thousands of them in the world that we impact that they necessarily think that way, right? They don't, they don't necessarily, as you just mentioned, you know, bring three, four new people to, to the customer and, and have those sessions of integration. Um, I agree, that's, that's a need. We've identified some of it, but I don't think we've actually went, we haven't gone through a complete reorganizational session here and, and, and design, and design uh, a path, but it will come. It, and, and I think the, the customer will demand more of that as well. Um, and so we think about primary care, obviously not every primary care healthcare system is set up the same way. So there's different needs there as well. And it seems you know, like, like there is maybe some standardization going on, but, but certainly one element that we see is this connectivity is, is, becoming, is becoming a necessity. And as soon as you connect, you also connect different entities of, of, of skill sets with each other to yeah. provide that solution. You know, in the United States where we have, due to just the market size and everything, we have a lot of direct sales models. And that is one thing that in the virtual world has become an opportunity is that a salesman or saleswoman that is sitting at home and trying to have a virtual session with a potential healthcare professional that is an influencer or part of the decision-making process, they can very easily organize to have a product manager pop into the conversation or um, a, a liaison like a physician liaison or key opinion leader come into the conversation and participate to talk to this potential customer or prospect, whoever they might be. 
as they're going through the sales process. So even though not being able to do face-to-face is a problem, being virtual does offer a couple opportunities where you mm-hmm. couldn't bring those people in very quickly before. Yeah. So it's, um, it, it is interesting, but, but people have to shift and be able to, to execute on that and have the skills to do the presentations and to manage the platform that they're using and so on and so forth. I mean, if you just think about the classic, you know, sales, how many times do you go and visit? How many touch points do you need? Uh, how often do you deposit? And that's, you know, the pharmaceutical sales, maybe even more than the medical device sales. How often do you leave something behind and, and, and return? This shifts a little bit because now you're, you're having to see probably still three or four individuals, decision making, uh, decision makers within the process but you need to bring other team constellations together as well. So it, it certainly has, has um, the digital means of, of communication have certainly helped on one side that people are now more used to doing it. But I, I believe as well that the complexity of the solutions that we need to provide um, are, are such that you will have a lot of inefficiencies in the system. So if I bring in a cybersecurity IT network person in in a conversation where he just has a, you know, a, a 30 second contribution, he still sits through the whole hour of conversation. In the past, that might not have been the case necessarily. He would have had his own target and would be a little bit more focused on his counterpart at a later stage, at a different stage. Now you bring them in a little bit earlier because they need to be thinking and helping the process along, pushing the process along earlier as well. That's one of the things, this whole virtual communication sales process, it's been a big issue in the community that I have online and also my podcast and videocast subscribers have found very interesting. So we've spent a lot of time on that especially the last uh, four or five weeks. So that's very interesting. So you're faced with that, and a lot of other people are faced with it, and it, it is an adjustment for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So how do you feel positioned now? So when you and I talked the other day, you feel pretty good about ending uh, 2020. It'll be a good year for Reister. And it sounds to me like you're positioned really well for 2021 and, and 2022. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to risk a, a, a look at the crystal ball to 22 yet. I'm not <laughs> sure what that year will bring. But for 2020, I'm very confident we'll we'll have a good year. We see to, we we continue to see and and you know second wave or just a a re reemergence of of the pandemic need also drives a little bit of business back, but we're not done yet. So it's still ongoing from from whenever it started in certain regions. I do think that with what we have in mind right now, even if if it ebbs off a little bit in regards of COVID, and I hope it does, I mean I'm not, you know this is this is benefiting from a from a difficult situation. Obviously, this is what med tech companies, some of them can do, and right. we took advantage of it. I don't want that to be, to be you know, we, we, we will see an ebbing of that, and, and we will see a change, but it accelerated many of our thoughts of now the time is ripe. Now the users are ready. 
I don't think that is going to go away necessarily. A lot of investment has been done already that we can actually go and continue to support. Um, people have moved towards telemedicine. There will be more need for, for devices that will integrate into their solutions as well. There is obviously a, a discussion on, okay, how are we going to reform all those healthcare systems on political levels? But I'm not counting that, that many of the countries will stick to their initial thoughts of now we'll go and, and reform everything and, and, and invest much more into healthcare. I think that is going to fizzle away again with all the other, with all the other issues we have. This is not necessarily staying first priority. And I'm not sure it should ever have risen to the first priority either, right? So right. You know, um, I'm not supporting that necessarily, but it has in certain, in certain times and in certain countries. So this will go away again, but I think we're prepared from a, from a transition. We've accelerated our transition slightly, pushed by COVID, not necessarily just because I joined two years ago and said, now let's pull all that through. It's a lot of push there as well. But also from a... From an investment perspective, if I look at where I do want to invest, it has changed dramatically into more digital solutions that I want to provide. And I mean, I, I do always have to remind myself where my business is coming from. It is strongly from the core and we will continue to support the core and leverage the core to maybe bring it bring it like a stethoscope, like, you know, there's no need for us to stop building our classic stethoscopes, but we do want to add a range of electronic stethoscopes to that, that maybe serve different use cases that we've never had the opportunity to enter with, with our current stethoscope line. Same with blood pressure monitors, uh, same with thermometry. thermometry. Um, so there is these opportunities that we, will, that we will actually benefit quite well from, at least in 21. And as I said, I, I'm you know, in the midst of an acquisition. This will certainly help to accelerate that further, to feed that further. And I think our appetite for, for more acquisitions is there. These are not huge acquisitions necessarily. But we um, we have been looking and targeting into into a telemedicine acquisition maybe as well. So this is certainly where I see my next one or two years putting emphasis on where I will be moving into. And with that, I believe that Easter will be very well prepared to to you know manage the challenges that we have ahead of us, like being a small company and and you know we always have that fear of um, being this displaced um, by large players. And I mean, the large players are the largest medical device companies in the world, like GE right. and, and, and Philips and others. I don't know if I should mention too many here, but there is many of them. And so therefore, I believe um, with that, what we have in mind right now, we'll be very well prepared to, to, to manage those challenges going forward. And we're niche players and we find those niches, you know, be, around the primary care environments, around the GPs, around some of, I mentioned yesterday to you, uh, nursing homes and, and elderly care facilities as well that will move towards more remote monitoring as well. The economics just drive them to do that, but now in addition, COVID has certainly released some of that potential and 
I've seen change in, in the thought process of individuals who are really reluctant to move into it, now finally saying, look, this is the time. We have to invest. And they made investments, and those investments need to be supported going forward as well. So I see a, you know, a good path forward for Easter. That's awesome. And before we wrap this up now, and looking back over the last several months, the experience that you've gone through, even though that it has been an experience of opportunities, it's still you have the, the COVID backdrop and the challenges. Any one or two pieces of advice you'd give uh, another executive leader? Well, you know, for, for me, it was the right moment to actually stand up and look around and reach out more than just look at Reister and how can we protect what we have going. I am luckily in the position that we're, we're well-funded within the group that owns us. So we did, you know, have a little bit of restrictions in the beginning, but now we see that we actually have the means. So for me, it was, you know, reaching out to technology players out there that could just bring me a little bit closer to a solution that will serve that, that digital world better. In the past, I said, look, I'm not sure I want to do it right now. It doesn't really fit into my, into my strategic or tactical plan, even for the year. And I was willing to drop two of my opportunities that I thought would be attractive to me, more in the screening environment, I dropped those. And one was, uh, you know, screening for dermatology and one was screening in the eye. We dropped those two projects pretty much to emphasize and focus on what we think specifically this telemedicine has to offer to us. So these were actually, um, yeah, these were, were pivoting moments so to speak. And, and I believe, obviously, you know, in the first month of COVID, we were very, very clear cash preservation rules. At the same time, we were extending ourselves towards our partners that were struggling in the markets. We needed to extend payment terms. We needed to extend credit lines as well, that, that they were struggling to fund the opportunities. So we were in the position to do that. Um, we took advantage of it and we saw some business come to us that we might not have seen otherwise. So I think it, it did actually bring me to the understanding I need to be a bit more risk-taking than I was in the past. Okay. And... At the same time, we all do it with partnerships. We cannot do it alone. And you know, reach out to your partners that you have and, and try to really figure out how to get to that next level of growth, either through technology or an expansion in your, in your sales or marketing strategy. Now is the time. It's, it's not encapsulating. It's opening up. It's reaching out for those opportunities that are plenty out there. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for spending an hour with us today. This is really terrific. You know, I've learned a lot just in the last couple conversations we had and today, and I'm sure that the people that view this or listen to the podcast will learn a lot too. Appreciate that, Ted. Appreciate that you invited me.
And uh, we reserve the right to come back like in a year, year and a half and find out how you've done. Here you go. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Look forward to that conversation. Yes, I do too. Thanks again. Thank you very much, Ted. Thanks for having me. That was a very interesting conversation. It was like a class in leadership and vision. You have to get the right people on the team to support the vision and the strategies and tactics necessary to achieve that vision. Then when COVID hit, Dominic had the right people in place to respond to the opportunity, and they were agile. And we learned a new term that I haven't heard very often called silverbacks, which refers to salespeople that are entrenched in old methodologies. So if you are a silverback, which you probably don't want to be, but if you are a silverback, then you need to be a silverback that is adjusting to the new opportunities and gaining some new skills and uh, and techniques. And also, we learned that you have to take risks and you need to work with your partners. You know, you don't have to be a CEO to apply vision, even in your own territory. Let's say you're a salesperson. You can have a vision for what you want yourself to be in your sales territory as you work for a company. You can have a vision for what you want your results to be as you contribute as a marketing manager or a product manager or a sales manager. So what's your vision? Have you ever sketched it out? What is your vision for yourself as to how you're going to contribute to the success of your company? That's your homework for today. Think about your vision And think about the skills and tools that you need to put in place to make sure you can achieve that vision in today's world. Okay, thanks so much for spending time with us today. I really appreciate it. If you like this videocast and podcast, please recommend it to a friend, rate it, and subscribe. Now go win your week. (laughs) 